Well, welcome. Thank you guys for being with me today. I am so happy to be preaching to you guys. If you know me, you know that's only partly true because I'm partly terrified, but I'm really happy to be here with my people. So, um, no worries. <laughs> this week I went on a hike with some friends and it was thunderstorming and every, uh, every few steps I came up with an excuse not to preach. Uh, I thought, oh, the thunder, the lightning, it might come strike me and then I won't have to preach. Oh, we might come around the corner and there'll be a cougar and I'll throw myself down so you guys are safe, but mostly because I don't have to preach. I thought of 30 ways to avoid preaching, but here I am. It's confronting everything that I'm actually talking about today, so it's good for me. I had to prophesy to myself and get over it. Um, today is part two of our series called Modern Family. If you were here last week, you know that Pastor Corey preached an amazing message called Thou Shalt Not Tell a Lie. If you missed it, go back and listen to it online because it is one that you need to hear for your family, for your parenting, for your relationships. Lies break our relationships in half. So go and listen to it. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the house, you guys. We want to celebrate you guys. We want to um, just thank you for the job that you do every day, taking care of the kids in your life. Um, we are so grateful for what you do. Man, sometimes when I think of what kind of mom I am, I have to laugh, and that's really hard for me because I don't like making fun of myself and the things that I do wrong, but I've had some epic failures in my life, and I have some serious mom guilt over them. Have any of you guys had some mom fail moments in your life? <laughs> well, one of my first memories of a mom fail moment was when I brought home my newborn baby, and a few weeks later, her fingernails needed cutting. And I was not quite sure what I was doing. Her nails are so little, and she's so squirmy and things like that, and I could not get at them, and so I started cutting her fingernails, and wouldn't you know it, I actually cut her. She started bleeding everywhere. She started crying. I started crying. And right at that moment, Pastor Corey walks in the room. And he says to me, what did you do? <laughs> and then I wanted to strangle him, which would have been a double fail moment. But I didn't do it. But I felt so terrible. Um, I have failed to take a kid to the hospital with a broken wrist. I have failed to take a daughter to the hospital who had an allergic reaction. I remember Arwen one day came up to me and she said, Mom, I'm so itchy, something's wrong. And my solution to everything is go drink a glass of water. <laughs> Any other moms, that's your solution? Like, you got a stomachache, go drink a glass of water. You got a headache, go drink a glass of water. Um, but I said that to her and then I said, well, why don't you just take a shower, drink your glass of water, and then go lay down, go to bed. Well, she was crawling out of her skin. She was so itchy. So we finally took her to a doctor's house, a friend of ours, and he said, oh yeah, take her to the hospital. She needs an epi shot right now. <laughs> yeah, not a good moment in my life. Um, I have driven away and left a child at someone's house. I remember once Neela was, uh, we were at grandma's house visiting, and somehow she had unbuckled herself and went back in to grab something while I was getting something out of the garage. And I left without her. I didn't even realize she wasn't there. I got home, didn't realize she wasn't there. And <laughs> grandma calls and says, ah, are you forgetting? I can hear her in the background. Neela's crying hysterically. Mommy forgot me. <laughs> I think it took her two years to recover from that one. Um, but probably one of my worst mom guilt moments was uh, when Arwen, my firstborn, was a baby. And I shared this at mom's group a few, or at the women's call, Zoom call a few weeks ago. But um, it traumatized me, and I was scared it was going to traumatize her. But I, I remember just being so unsure of what I was doing. I was so exhausted. I was so tired. And she was crying, and I didn't know why. Have you ever had your baby just crying, crying, crying? You have no clue what to do. 
Well, it's terrible feeling, but I just remember being so frustrated. I just yelled at her. I just screamed at her, and she started crying even harder, and I started crying because I felt so guilty. Um, we have so many of those moments, don't we, where we feel guilt. Um, if you're a mom, you know that that mom guilt is real. We've all had these expectations of what being a mom is going to look like. We have these pictures in our, our minds of what it's going to be like. Sometimes we've waited for months and months, sometimes years. Sometimes we've had to get creative of how to get a child. Um, it's not always what we expect, and there's oftentimes a weight that comes with it that we're not prepared for. And we're kind of scared that someone's going to figure out that we have no clue what we're doing. We were laughing at our small group this weekend, um, or last week, about uh, people's Instagram reel. You see the highlight reels of everyone's life, those perfect family portraits. And we all know the reality of it. Five minutes before, you are screaming and yelling at your kids. You're trying to wipe their faces and get them clean. 30 seconds after, someone's punched each other. You know, they're punching each other. And, um, but we have such pressure to make a perfect memory. It's staged perfection. My kids seriously hate picture time in our house. And I think social media has created a monster in our society, an epidemic, really, of comparison and of criticism. Yeah. It gives us an opportunity to present our best, but then on the other side, it can also bring out the worst in people. It's a platform for all the voices. We become consumed with trying to get the perfect image. Yeah. I remember I had a friend once who wanted me to come over and take a family portrait of her extended family. And every time I took a picture, she would come back and she would delete it if she didn't look good in the picture. And sometimes we're like that, like we just can't handle it if we don't look good. We live in a world where people can both project only the perfect manicured pictures and where we can also comment and criticize each other without having to look someone actually in the eyes. People can be mean and it causes us to hesitate, to second guess ourselves. We can become so obsessed with the projections that we miss the actual living of it. It's exhausting and it usually takes away from us being present and enjoying the moments of life. It creates an inward smallness in us. And then sometimes there's something that feels like we're missing out and we're getting gypped, but we're not quite sure why. Through all of my mom and other life failures, I'm learning that I have choices though in how I respond to the hard things. I can laugh at myself and trust me, I am not good at laughing at myself, it takes work. I can learn to share it with others, both to get help and to help others along the way, or I can withdraw and cover and hide my flaws in the hopes that I won't look bad as a mom or as a uh, woman. So today I want to talk to you about how we sometimes posture ourselves for appearances in our relationships. This can be at work, this can be in dating, in marriage, in parenting, in friendships. A voice inside of us reminds us of that guilt, that mom guilt that I have, those hurts, those things done to me, those things that want to hold me in, the embarrassments, the regrets, the criticisms. Life starts to feel overwhelming and we tend to take a defensive position. We isolate, we pull back, and it creates such a smallness in our lives. We miss out on living in the present and growing the relationships that we're desperately longing for. This is what I'm calling today the window seat. It's a place of withholding, of smallness, and of being a slave to our feelings in the window seat. So I actually do a lot of window watching. I have my devotions by the window. I'm sitting in the window. I work out by the window and hope no one is out there watching me do my Latin dance moves because <laughs> it's not pretty. 
<laughs> and I work by uh, our kitchen window, and so I see people going by all the time. I see them walking their dogs, biking, playing with their kids, but there's a big difference between watching them and interacting with them. The reality is I can form a lot of opinions about them from what I see, but I don't know them. Not all of them, anyhow. From my place in the window, I feel safe from the elements. I mean, who likes the cold, anyhow? Not me. Uh, it's distant from the people outside because people can be a lot of work. Uh, look, I know as an introvert that we all need times away from people to recharge and to be in solitude. So that's not what I'm talking about here today. I'm talking about staying in a window seat where I feel comfortable and safe and avoiding the pain that comes with growing. The window seat's easy. It's easy to get stuck in, but if I sit there and watch life instead of going out in the mess of the streets, I create an illusion of living, watching, judging, protecting myself, but I'm gonna miss out on the real connections out there and the purpose I so desperately need and was designed for. So today I wanna to read from 2 Samuel 6, and this is an interaction between uh, Michael and her husband, King David. So just a little background for you. Michael was actually the daughter of King Saul. Her brother was Jonathan. And Michael was given to David as a wife uh, by her dad, Saul, in an attempt by her jealous dad to actually get David killed. So uh, David knew that, or Saul knew that David was anointed and he wanted him out of the way. And so he was hoping that if he put this crazy high dowry of 100 Philistines that um, David would go out and get killed, but actually David had such tenacity that he doubled it and he came in. So Michael started out kind of as a pawn in her father's plans to rule. Um, so some of this window life that she had, we can get. We can get why she was like that. Um, this is David, King David, and one of his great first acts as king was to actually go out and bring back the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was made 400 years before this by Moses. And it was the place where God's present, presence rested. It was where the glory of God rested. And it had been lost in battle. It had been stolen by the Philistines. And then it had been recovered. But it wasn't ever brought back into the city of Jerusalem. So it was actually away from them, away from where they were. And David decided that he wanted that presence of God, that place of glory, to be brought back near where he was ruling. Um, this actually represented the worship of God central to life for them. So let's start reading 2 Samuel 6, 12. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Okay, now this shows you how important this was to David. Every six steps, that's extravagant sacrifice. It shows both reverence and excitement at the wonder of God. What had been lost was now going to be returned. And he knew that if he was going to lead well, he needed the presence of God close to him. He needed the blessing of God for his people. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. This was a big deal, guys. Shops would have been closed. People would have would have been lining the streets to come watch, and David was right there in the middle of it with the people. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, now notice this, doesn't say Mike, Michael, wife of David, it says daughter of Saul. 
Um, now she would look down from her window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. So why the hate? It wasn't that he was inappropriate. It wasn't that he was being indiscreet. I think what it was was that she disliked that he broke royal protocol. He took off his kingly robes, and he was dressed more like a priest, like the people he was walking with. So he set aside his status so that he could freely worship. So do you remember David? He was actually a worshiper at heart. He was a musician. Um, and so he actually took off his kingly robes so that he could be free to worship the Lord with all his heart. And today I want to remind you guys that never let the robes that you wear, your appearance, your position, don't let those be confused with who you are. We all wear robes in the different roles we have. The robes aren't bad. You know, his, his kingly robes were part of um, his job as well. When he went out to battle, he put on armor. Those things aren't wrong. There's nothing wrong with them, but they can't be the things that define you. Perhaps, maybe we have an identity crisis in our society right now because we're looking to others. We're looking to the things that we put on. We're looking to the things that we try and cover under our robes. We hide behind the image we present instead of working on our actual heart. King David was exposing himself because he had a heart to worship God. So from her window seat, Michael was above it all. She was up there above the street looking down on David. And she thought he was ridiculous, careless, exposed, vulnerable, expressive, interactive. And to her, this seemed dangerous and reckless for a king. The image of how he looked did not meet her expectations of a king. See, her father never would have looked so foolish. So verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he'd finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. And then when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, again, came out to meet him. And she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. See, David came home and he was ready to bless his household. She meets him with contempt and sarcasm. She's been sitting at this window way too long, protecting an image that's so small and she's about to miss it all. So she's raging at her husband, just like her father raged at those around him when he was insecure. And what happened was her bitterness actually blocked her blessing. He came home to bless her. It was blocked by this bitterness inside of her. So where did all this bitterness start? I think Michael was actually a really broken and offended woman who never found freedom in God. She had once loved David. She even helped him try to escape out of a window once when her, uh, her dad was coming after him, trying to kill him. him. So this window life, actually, she had opportunities to stop sitting in the window and to actually get active and be out there. But she chose, she chose differently. So her dad was King Saul. He was strong, but he was an insecure king. And he was always obsessed with preserving an image of himself. He was so afraid of losing his throne. He was suspicious, paranoid. He did not trust others. He always blamed others as the problem. He had a victim mindset. The image of who he was 
was more important than doing the right thing. He always had to keep his guard up because he had an image to uphold. See, insecure people see threats in others that aren't there. Saul, yeah. The other thing is Saul had these crazy fits of rage that I'm sure Michael witnessed, and that became part of her as well. He was ruled by power and control, and he'd manipulate others to keep himself in power. And likely many of these patterns of Saul's life were passed down to his daughter, Michael. Often of the things we grow up with, even the things we despise, become our habits. If we take that easy, passive approach and think we can deal with them inwardly, if we think we can deal with these things internally, we will pass these things on to our kids. Saul was critical, he was angry, he was jealous, and he passed on these small ways of thinking, this life in the window seat to his daughter. Moms, if you guys have anger issues, open up to someone today. Deal with them in the open. Be ruthless with yourself because the hearts of your children depend on it. Join a freedom group, get help, cut off that small-mindedness and patterns. Your kids are gonna thank you one day. See, we don't have to live this way. Um, if you remember Michael, she actually had a brother named Jonathan, and Jonathan uh, was Saul's son. And yet, he didn't live like Saul. He broke the pattern off of his life. He actually had the most to lose. If you know about his life, he actually could have like, been the next in line for the throne, but he was not worried about trying to keep a place for himself, make a name for himself. He chose to uh, openly help David to become his best friend, to live with him, to fight with him instead of trying to make that name for himself. Um, so Michael didn't have to choose that easy seat in the window. I think that years staying seated in the window, isolated, criticizing, looking down instead of looking up, we got a choice, man. She let her feelings rule her. She let the pain of her brokenness she let the fear that she felt, she let it cause her to get stuck and to stay small. And we all have a window seat to run to. We all have a window seat that we can run to that seems easier. We can get lazy. We can get lazy in our thoughts and our emotions and choose to stay there. And then we start to choose patterns of survival, self-preservation. And the reality is David had a different posture. He was actually looking up at God. He was, he was worshiping with all his heart. And perhaps part of her despised the anointing and the power on David. Maybe she was jealous like her father. But the truth is, Michael could have joined him in the streets. She didn't. Her bitter heart wouldn't allow it. And she had an image to withhold, to keep up. Um, when we sit in the window, we create stories of other people's intentions. And this is what Michael did with David here. Her response, it, it could have been a welcome, welcome home party for her husband, but instead her insecurities caused her to falsely accuse David of seeking attention from the women in the crowd. See, when we're consumed with image, we begin to project our insecure thoughts onto other people. She learned this from her dad. Remember, he was so consumed with power, he thought David would try to overthrow him. Well, from the window seat of life, we question others' intentions and motives, and we create stories that just aren't true. Maybe she was mad that he was looking up to God in worship instead of looking to the window to see her. Yes, true. The window seat seems like a safe place, but in actually it's a very lonely place. We want others to notice us there. We want them to look up at us. Michael actually began to despise the anointing on David instead of appreciating him. And women, women when your man begins to lead with the anointing of God, please do not despise him. No. 
Don't try to turn his eyes back to you. Be a welcome home party. Be a welcome home party for him to come home to. Be a safe place. He shouldn't have to worry if you're offended and what version of you he's coming home to. Right? <laughs> the reality is life is hard for each and every one of us, but we have a choice. We can get bitter or we can get better. Michael had reasons to get bitter. She was used by her father. In fact, at one point she was given away to another man in marriage and then taken back to David. I mean, her life was a mess. And we all have reasons we could get bitter, guys. We all have the choice too, though. David, as if David didn't have reasons to get bitter. David had enough rejection and criticism thrown at him to make anyone want to shrink back. He was used to criticism, but he responded so different. Instead of getting bitter, he chose to get better. See, his brother Eliab accused him of neglecting his responsibilities. Right before the battle with Goliath, his brother was kind of mocking him and belittling him. And there's some that say he may have even been an illegitimate child because he wasn't brought down with the other sons of Jesse um, before Samuel, right. when the one who was to be anointed was brought forward. Yeah. Yes. In fact, when he went out to battle one time with his, his men at Ziklag, they came back and someone, you know, the enemies had come and taken all the women and children and his men turned on him. The very people that he had just fought with turned on him. Saul was constantly wanting to kill him. His son hated him and slept with his concubines on the roof to bring shame to him. Talk about all the opportunities to get bitter. But through the pain, his heart didn't stay bitter. I think it's because he didn't turn inward, but he opened up to God and he kept moving forward into the battles. He chose to keep going out there with the people, crying out to God. And he wrote Psalms about it. He poured out his heart to God. Did David have an easier life? I don't think so. I don't think he had less sin. I don't think he had less criticism, less battles. But David had a level of vulnerability that we don't see in Michael. See, David was constantly growing. And he was confronting those dark places in himself. He didn't stay small. Yes, David sinned. He wrestled just like you and me. His focus, though, was not on appearing godly, but he was terribly concerned about actually being godly and knowing God. He was a man who saw past his circumstances, past himself, past the pain of his life, to the heart of God. He chased after God's heart. And sometimes we are chasing after things other than God. That's the problem. The reason David was a man after God's own heart wasn't because he was perfect. No, the reason he was a man after God's own heart was that he always came back to God. His desire to return to God was always greater than his desire to turn inward and to run to the safety of the window. David spent his life chasing God, not chasing after what people thought of him. He feared God more than he feared people. He believed and followed God even when the cost was great. And when he messed up, which he did a lot, he always ran back to God. So this is what happened next. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. And then catch this. This is what happened to Michael. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. 
See, there was something in David that was willing to be exposed, willing to risk, willing to look foolish. But not Michael. She wouldn't go there. She wouldn't risk it. Her bitterness became her barrenness. And now, hear me, guys. I am not saying that if you are unable to have kids that there is something wrong with you. I know Mother's Day can be a hard time for, for those of you that are struggling to have kids. Some of my closest pastor friends don't have children, and they are anointed people of God. But there is something inside of us when we sit in that window seat of bitterness when we hide away from the presence of God that doesn't bear fruit. It creates a barrenness in our relationships and in our soul. Michael decided the window life was easier and she lost heart. But it cost her so much. And it costs you and me and our people. So here's a newsflash for you. Getting hurt is unavoidable. Staying hurt is optional. Yeah, pain is meant to change us. God doesn't promise us a pain-free life. He says that this world, in this world, we are going to have troubles. It's a guarantee. But our response is what matters. Our response to the pain is the difference between whether we're going to grow stronger or whether we're going to shrink smaller. We've got the choice. So window watchers, we get self-conscious. We withhold. We're slow to encourage others because we're always comparing. We're complaining. We're gossiping. We're criticizing. We're jealous. When we stay in that window, we stay small. We don't speak up because we don't want to be a target. (laughs) We hold back from contributing to keep a reserve. We want to protect ourselves. So we we don't give when we need to. We don't serve when we need to. We begin to assume the worst of other people's intentions, and we focus on avoiding embarrassment more than actually living a life with purpose. We withdraw. We make excuses for our poor choices and our behaviors and feelings. And ultimately, guys, if we stay in that window, we become a slave to our feelings. The problem is, is that leaving that window feels like a position of weakness. We don't know what it might cost, and it's scary, guys. If you know me, you know that I love animals. So I'll tell you an animal story that relates here. So the African impala, if you've seen them, they're beautiful animals, but they can jump like crazy. So they can actually jump 10 feet high, and they can jump a, a distance of 30 feet. Um, They can cover great distance. And when they're on the plains of Africa, they are actually super adaptive. They can adapt really quickly to the diet and the changing seasons. They can change what they eat. And yet, these magnificent creatures that can jump so high are kept in an enclosure in zoos that's only three feet tall. Oh, boy. They will not jump. They will not jump because they can't see what's on the other side of the fence. When they can't see where their feet are going to land, impalas will not take the jump. And too often, we are like this. We are afraid to take risks. We don't believe because we can't see it. But as Christ followers, we are taught we need to walk by faith and not by sight. So 2 Corinthians 6, verses 11 to 13 in the Message Bible says this. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. This is Paul talking now. And this is what he says, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. So open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. See, being vulnerable is this. It's the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed. 
there's a risk here. Vulnerabilities making a move with no guarantee of the outcome, like those impalas that can't see on the other side of the fence. There's no guarantees in life. We have to make a risk at times. Yeah, the problem is, is we don't always want to be vulnerable because we feel like it's risky. We stay in the window and we actually long for relational growth that only comes from life in the open. With dropping our guard, with letting our walls down, but we know it's hard, so we settle. Brene Brown says this, we can choose courage or we can choose comfort, but we can't choose both. Darn it. <laughs> Getting out of the window requires courage. Yes. Stop waiting for something awesome to happen in your life and come down. You feel like you're missing out, but it's because you're staying in the smallness. The window seat where you're comfortable holds us hostage. We say around here at Venue that real boats rock. We are meant for open water. We might feel safer in the harbor, but we will never reach our destiny there, guys. There's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Aristotle said that. You can't avoid criticism, but you can choose to not be controlled by it. When there's uncertainty, the window watchers turn inward for answers. It causes us to pull back from the people we need to be around to avoid the deep relationships where we're seen, to stop serving, to avoid going to church, mm -hmm. we choose to stay small. Don't compromise your calling. You can get bitter or you can get better, but you choose. We have the opportunity before us today to get down from the window. Don't let your lives become barren because you stayed in the window afraid to risk it. Wow. Comfort zones like this are where dreams go to die. You were made for more than this. God doesn't want a barren life for you. So get out of that window. I know it's risky, but it's rewarding. So today, if you feel stuck in your window, controlled by fear, by image, or by offense, do not stay there. Come down today, expose yourself a little, open up. It's so worth it, guys. God didn't create you to live guarded. He didn't want you to be isolated in the window. Your family's not meant to be an island. Don't stay small. Don't avoid letting others in. Get prayer today in the chats. Text someone in your small group. Those familiar patterns in your family legacy will never be broken if you stay sitting in the window. Get it out in the open. Yes. Hebrews 10.39 says this, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So what does moving out of the window look like for you today? For some of you, it's about getting your hands out of your pockets and lifting your hands for the first time in worship. God's presence is waiting here for you to come down out of that window. For some of you, it's joining a team, even though you feel like you don't have any more to give to, for getting involved and serving in your community. You're not sure if you're gonna be good at it and you're scared to try. Maybe it's giving up offense or bitterness, forgiving someone so that your heart can be free, stepping out and trusting someone again, because staying hurt is optional, guys. Okay, so take it from this shy, insecure girl. If you don't risk it, you're going to miss out on some of the greatest friendships you could ever know. Right. Right. That's good. Another thing, it might be engaging with your kids. Coming out of the window might just be getting present with your kids instead of trying to project a perfect image for everyone else, for all of your friends, of what your life is like. Maybe it's stopping the busyness of your life to go actually go out in the streets and play with your kids. Maybe not on the streets, because that might be a little dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Moms, I know that you want to keep your kids safe, and it feels safer in the window. I know you want to preserve your energy because you're not sure you have what it takes. I know you've been hurt and failed. I know it seems scary to go into the streets of life in the open, exposed, to be vulnerable. But moms, I also know that you want your children to live big lives, to not be limited by the things that have held you back, to not give in to those fits of rage when you're trying to control everything around you, to let go of the bitterness that keeps you from the deep relationships you desire so much. I know you want your families to see the blessings of God. So get out of your window. Stop living small. There's a world outside that window. So don't let it pass you by. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you right now for your presence. We thank you that we don't have to live a small life. We thank you that we have a choice. And we thank you that you are our healer. You are the one that comes and gives us the courage. Your spirit lifts us. Your spirit... Um, comes and heals us and gives us the courage to move out into open living so that we can be free, so that we don't have to pass on these patterns of brokenness, criticism, offense to our children. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit coming today and helping us to live life and not let it pass us by. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.